0: Coach Brad here. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about the Chasing Poker Greatness VIP newsletter. Hopping onto the VIP newsletter is the absolute best thing you can do to ensure this plucky little podcast keeps going indefinitely into the future. When you sign up, you'll get exclusive behind-the-scenes Chasing Poker Greatness content, access to the private Chasing Poker Greatness Slack community notifications for product launches, entries into monthly free coaching giveaways, and much, much more. So if you're wondering what the absolute best thing you can do to support your favorite poker podcast, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com VIP and access the newsletter today. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com VIP. And now, back to the show. Welcome, 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 my friend, to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson, and today's guest on the show is the always hilarious and endearing Sarah Herring. This is round two with Sarah, so if you missed round one, I would highly recommend you go back and check that conversation out. And because so much has happened since last December, and neither her nor I can contain our rabid curiosity, this is going to be a very wide-ranging conversation. As a matter of fact, I couldn't stop smiling and laughing as I was listening back to this episode so that I could record this intro. That sense of joy and happiness I feel when producing these episodes of Chasing Poker Greatness for you are honestly the reason this show is still around. So I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and to also thank all of my past Chasing Poker Greatness guests for being such amazing human beings. With that said, Sarah and I are going to explore COVID, of course, her life as a new mom, and have a quick check-in with the going-ons of the poker world. You're also going to hear both of us pull a couple of skeletons out of our closets and talk about how our childhoods shaped us into the humans we are today, how Sarah suffered a very serious injury that could have been much worse had she listened to a medical professional, Sarah's experience of her and her husband being sick with COVID-19, and much, much more. And before we dive into this episode, if you'd like to be more efficient in your poker learning while gaining focus and clarity so that you can skyrocket your game, check out PokerWithPresence.com. One more time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. Without any further ado, I bring to you one of my all-time favorite human beings in the world of poker, Sarah Herring. Sarah, welcome back to the show. How are you doing?
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I was pretty excited actually to see the invite. Last time you told me you were really tired because you had a massage, so um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to see. You know, I'm gonna have to really test you and see what's what's the real level.
0: Yes, now that you say that, it, it all comes back to me. And I, I actually had another couple of guests on days where I had massages and had to tell my masseuse like, hey. I can't be completely knocked out for these. I got to perform in a few hours, but um, yeah, it's good. I, I get a do-over. I, I just yep. realized that.
1: Yeah, that's lucky for you. But don't worry, I can. Uh, I can carry the show, no problem. That's that's also what I do. So
0: yeah, I mean, that's all I'm asking you to do. Every <laughs> every interaction that we have ever, um, <laughs> quite a few things have happened in your life since then. You. Gave birth for one. So let's start there. Congratulations. Thank How is you. it like being a new parent?
1: It is like the best thing ever, like everyone says. But actually, it's super funny because everyone says that. And like the first couple months, I was like, I mean, I love her, like, bots, obviously, I love her, but I was kind of, like, maybe I'm, like, a serial killer or something, (laughs) because I was kind of, like, I mean, it's nice, but I'm not just, like, totally Google ad going crazy, and then maybe, like, three or four months in, she started smiling, and then we added, like, the laughing and making jokes, and now I'm, like, I just... When I go to the grocery store and I come back, I like I miss her. I actually miss her. I'm like, man, I can't wait to get upstairs and see her and see how funny and fun she is. And yeah, it's totally awesome now. But when she was like three months, I had a really bad injury. And then I wasn't able to get out of bed for two months.
0: So how, tell, tell me about the injury, first of all. Yeah. And, and secondly, I, I want to go back a second. See, this is me with more energy levels um, navigating the conversation really um, program. I, I think we are programmed as human beings to tell everyone, yes, it's the best thing ever having a kid, no experience like it in the world because the human race is incentivized to procreate, right? It wouldn't, be, sure. <laughs> wouldn't be a super appealing thing if you're like, it's going to be awful. Yeah. You will never get to sleep at night. Um, just a vastly overrated experience. Right. Yeah. Um, but I will say like, enjoy these moments and capture as many of them as possible. Get them on film because what happens is they grow up and you Mm. forget, you can't even imagine them being a baby or not being able to walk. And I know that this seems like alien to you now, but trust me in 10 years, you won't be able to remember it. So you need those, those memories.
1: Yeah, it's killing me. And actually, even because I've been back to work now since April and back to work officially has actually been working from home. So that's amazing. I haven't had to miss as much, but it's funny because she, my stepdaughter is actually her nanny and she's amazing. And there have been several things where she's like, oh my gosh, she crawled today. And she'll like show me the video of her crawling or, you know, she's just started doing a few things. She stands up and these things. And then I'm like, I missed it. I missed the moment. Like I was in the house, but I just missed the moment. And now, the idea of like going to tournament stops or or actually you know traveling being gone for weeks at a time is terrifying to me because a i don 't want to miss the things, but b I just don't want to miss her in general
0: yeah, good news i don't know that traveling for tournaments is going to be a thing for a while, so you kind of kind of dodged the bullet there, I think, just you know all it took was a global pandemic. <laughs>
1: That's what I'm hoping, but so we, I shot the Poker News podcast this morning, and Chad just got back from, they had a live tournament stop in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, or something like that, and then they got just record-breaking numbers for that stop in that event. Like, I think the record before had been 200-and-something entries, and it got like 500-something entries, so I'm definitely it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, and I even mentioned, you know, to them on that show, cause they were saying, well, we'll see how it goes. But I'm like, we're not going to know how it goes because if a bunch of people get sick two weeks from now from that poker tournament stop, like nobody's going to know that, right. Nobody's going to be keeping track of that or making sure. So I do think if it was a test to see whether or not the appetite is there, it clearly is. And if it's a test to see whether or not it's, you know, dangerous or not, I don't know if they're actually testing that.
0: Yeah. You don't have to be Alfred Einstein to know that you run a tournament after not allowing people to play live poker for six months. You're going to get record numbers. It's not exactly a a leap in logic there. It's just, is it safe? How, How do you find Poker News is navigating this whole pandemic? Because I assume that, you know, they have reporters, they have staff, like this seems like a total nightmare,
1: It's actually been so amazing. I'm so impressed with how everyone has handled it. Basically, we all just very quickly realized, okay, we've got to come up with some dynamic, interesting ways to cover these online tournaments. We've got to work with these clients who are still going to try to run, you know, tournaments or run cash games or whatever. And we just have to figure out new ways to, to cover things and make them interesting. And I actually think it brought out some really cool ideas for things that we probably should have been doing already. And we've really managed to have record numbers in terms of people on the site and in terms of people signing up for poker. So I think for poker itself, it's actually been really good.
0: That's good. You guys are innovating, getting used to the new world. And like you said, probably doing things that you should have been doing before, but Life is busy. There's not enough time to do all the things. When you get locked in your house like jail, you got to you got to figure out alternatives real quick.
1: Mhm. Mhm. And speaking of that also, which is something we can move forward to. Yeah. But I did also get COVID. Oh, in July. <laughs> it's been a really crazy year. It's been a tough year.
0: Have you did, did your husband get it? Did your family get it? How was your My experience?
1: My stepdaughter, I think so. We had all been fully cooped in here for, I mean, until, and we were like crazy. I mean, like in February, we started wearing masks and had like storable food and water and weird, like full on crazy prepper people to begin with. So we were like ready for everything to go down. And uh, my stepdaughter moved here with us. And actually it was such a beautiful God thing because she just had expressed interest in coming to Texas and... I had no idea that I was going to have my injury, but basically she came one week after the injury, totally, you know, in a beautiful series of events, which I couldn't have planned better myself. So she was actually able to help me through and help me take care of the baby.
0: How old is your stepdaughter?
1: She's 22.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So
1: Yeah. So she's like able to handle things. And anyway, so we can get more into the injury stuff later, but basically she was able to be here with us. We were all here from, I got hurt March 5th. So from, you know, March until the end of June, Texas opened back up and we were like, okay, you can go see your cousins. Her cousin's aunt has cancer. We kind of just assumed that, you know, they would all be very careful and cautious because of her, you know, needs. And I don't know, the cousin is not the same as the aunt. We don't know exactly what happened, but the stepdaughter came home with like a sniffle, basically. She took like a Zyrtec and she was a little bit tired. Her glands were a little bit swollen, but we kind of thought that, you know, it might be allergies. The cousin had dogs and stuff. We thought it might be allergies. Then the following week, my husband was dead. Like he literally didn't get out of bed from Friday until Monday morning. It was crazy. I mean, I think he went pee and stuff, but.
0: Your husband, Heath Herring, is. Yes. He- he's a big dude. He's a strong dude former mixed martial artist has battled Brock Lesnar in the octagon and it knocked him straight down.
1: Yes. It murdered him. And I thought, and he has asthma. So I was actually super worried um, about him, but he had just started a new job. So he somehow like got up on Monday. He worked his like five days. And then again, the following weekend, like Friday to Sunday, he was just dead and tired. And actually then that weekend I got sick and same thing, just really exhausted. Like my head hurt, my body hurt really bad. I was just so tired. Just like doing anything was so tiring. And then basically what we've discovered is that it just, for us, our experience was just that it manifests in tons of really bizarre ways. There was also like a major gastrointestinal phase, which lasted for way longer than um, I anticipated. And like fevers, which just come and go. And it's so crazy because we would be feeling great for like two days, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I beat it." You know how it is—like you're sick, you have the flu, you have the cold, yep. and you get feeling better, and you're just like, "Deuces!" Like I'm, I'm over it now, and you're so happy to be healthy. This will be like such a tease because you feel healthy for like two days, and you remember how great it is to feel healthy, how much you can get done, get a little energy back, and then boom, you feel bad again, and you feel bad for three days, and then it has been, yeah. So now we're going on months, and my stepdaughter really got over it right away, but Heath and I, it's been still off and on. I'd actually say, I think in the last couple of weeks, we've both sort of just pushed through, but man, it's so bizarre. And then you start looking up things like, is this, this, is this it? And basically everything is it. So I don't know, like everything is COVID. If you like, you know, sweat funny or if you, but because of my job, you know, I didn't want them to think I already had this horrible injury. I took off because of, you know, having the baby. I'm like, oh, now I have COVID. Great. They're just going to think like, what are we doing with this girl? So I went and got tested. And even that, it was super hard to get tested. Like, I don't know. The whole thing is just so weird. It's just weird. And I don't know what's going to happen. But I will say the last two months since testing positive for the antibodies is it's been amazing. It's just been so great to be free again, like just not to have any fear. And I'm pretty sure now we know it's like confirmed. You can get it multiple times. And I think we kind of had some awareness of that anyways, but that there may or may not be like at least a couple months window where we could not be as panicked. And that's what I've been enjoying now for the last few months. I still wear my mask and stuff just because it's like the law and all that. And I don't want to freak other people out, but yeah.
0: It's <laughs> freak everybody terrible. out with your face.
1: Dude, I just want to be like, I want a shirt that's like, I have the antibodies, don't worry, like, I'm not going to get you sick, but, you know, people are, are freaked out anyways, and, you know, it also just makes me realize, it's like, I wear gloves everywhere, I had physical therapy, and, you know, I wore my mask everywhere from, like, February moving forward, I was so careful, and then it's just like, you know, I still got sick, so, I don't know, I wish everyone luck who's trying to be careful, but I'm kind of just glad to be over it.
0: Yes, I and still trying to be careful and do all the things because I, to my knowledge, have not had COVID. I haven't had the antibody test, but if it, if I was asymptomatic, then maybe I did. But I know that like one of one of the more one of the things that I don't think folks are thinking enough about are the long term effects and just how little we know about what happens after you know you you quote unquote recover. Like, will this be a thing that affects? some people for the rest of their life and what what's that going to look like it's a yeah this is another thing that we (laughs) didn't talk about the last time you were on the show because global pandemic wasn't a thing and it's just it's really bizarre how far we've come since then and how normalized like wearing a mask and washing your hands all the time and doing all these things every single time you get out in public has become
1: yeah No. And it's really freaky, actually, honestly, because now occasionally I'll forget, you know, I'll leave my mask in the car or whatever. And then halfway into the store, remember, oh my gosh, yeah, I need that or into the restaurant. And it's, and it's funny because there's parts of it that it's super bizarre, like seeing a winter photo with someone in a mask. It's just, it looks like they're there to rob the place, you know, but now that's normal. And if you're not wearing a mask, you're there to rob the place. And, uh, but also it's so crazy because now that I've had it, I'm less afraid, right? So we've gone to restaurants and stuff in the last uh, month or so. And it's this ridiculous kabuki dance where you wear the mask when you walk in and then you remove the mask when you're at the table and then you put the mask back on when you leave. But I mean, realistically, we just went to a Brazilian barbecue this last weekend. And I mean, they're literally just putting the meat, like they have to slice it right in front of your face. And the whole, I mean, I was just like, this is such a funny dance that we're doing where, It's very clearly the illusion of safety. I mean, it's the same thing in the airport, right? Where it's like, okay, do the TSA check, whatever. Really the illusion of safety is hysterical and not probably all that effective.
0: Yeah, don't get me started on the theatrics at the airport. I think this every single time I'm getting checked for all this stuff, all I think is like, this is just a mirage. (laughs) All of these people spending spending their life as actors on a stage- just to yes. make make us feel more safe.
1: Yeah, a hundred, hundred percent. And you're right about the long term effects, and it is terrifying because there are definitely studies and things that are indicating that there's potential long term effects in all parts of the body. That's what's so bizarre, you know, neurological damage that that may be long lasting. And I keep every time I get like a twitch in my eye or something, I'm like, ah, it's, it's gonna be it's like my retardation from the Rona coming, but you know, at this point, I I don't know. It's like, you know, I think looking back, if we wanted to maybe think more cautiously about this gain of function testing, like maybe it's not the best idea. Maybe it's like a kind of gamble we should or shouldn't have. I do think it's probably a conversation we should have as a, as a, as a culture, but really at this point, it's like the cat's out of the bag. So uh, we just have to, I guess, deal with what we've, we've been given.
0: Yeah. If you're, the time to deal with the pandemic is months before it happens, not six months after the genie's out of the bottle. Cause it's out of the bottle now. And no matter how much we want things like sports and football and going to a concert or going out to dinner, it's just not going to happen because we want it. Right. We have a massive problem that we got to solve. Yeah. Um, Hopefully.
1: Hopefully we can solve it.
0: Well, it'll get solved one way or the other, I guess, on a long enough timeline. Yeah. Going back. So you horrendously broke your leg. Can you tell tell me what, what happened? What's the story behind that?
1: It's so crazy. And I'm actually still concerned that maybe I have some sort of like larger issue. I've had some people reach out to me after telling my story and said, maybe I have celiac disease or maybe I have some other thing. Apparently there's some diseases, which manifest in this way where your bones just like snap apart but basically i was um just i I, my mom and my grandma came to see the baby and so we rented a little airbnb uh, on a lake close by me and it was beautiful called the tree house so it's kind of like nestled up in this hill um on a lake and i was so uh you know pg-13 just there with my my grandma and my mom, I was going to take pictures of my mom on the, on the pier. Where's the thir- you know,
0: 13 aspect of it? Why is it?
1: You know, cause like <laughs> I probably cussed and stuff, you know, you've got to <laughs> okay. like, give yourself a little element um, in there. Cause Language. it's me. Yeah. But you know, it's, I wasn't like drinking or going crazy. Basically I just was walking down this. It was like a pretty steep path and granted it didn't have any rails to grab onto, but I just, Uh, There had been a big storm. I think there was some pine needles and stuff on the path. And I just slipped. And it was like such a non moment, right? Like, my mom was like, Are you okay? And it's just one of those things where you're like, Yeah, what an idiot. And like, I went to stand back up, and I couldn't stand at all. And so I obviously looked at my foot, and it was just like dangling. My foot was just like, hanging. And I could actually see like this, the bones, they weren't like protruding through the skin, but you could clearly see the two, like your tibia and your fibula, like just there. And then like the foot was hanging. It was pretty grotesque. And, um, so my mom and got Heath and we were like, okay, we have to go to the hospital. And of course we were like equidistant between two hospitals. It's just these dumb things. Right. And that you don't even consider like, what do you do if you're Somewhere random, and you're unfamiliar with the sector, and we just, you know, like flipped a coin basically, and went to one one of the hospitals, and which was 45 minutes from where we were. I cannot even tell you like every single bump we went over. I was like, oh, but I still was kind of in shock. It honestly, like, I didn't. Prior, I kept saying because I had just had the baby a few months before and I did that without any drugs. And I was actually like, this is less painful than giving birth, like, no question, like, giving birth is way, way more painful than this. And so we go to the hospital and they're like, yeah, it's pretty bad. And again, it was just such a, such a God thing. I think my husband has a friend who's a hospital administrator who just happened to call him that day, actually, because we were thinking if they tried to, um, quarantine Houston or whatever, you know, a lot was still going down in China. And we were like, if they try to quarantine Houston, we should go stay with our buddies who are out of this sort of city. And then like, you know, we don't ever get trapped in in an environment where everyone has COVID and we're stuck in an apartment. Anyway, so we'd been talking to him about maybe going to stay with him. He just happened to call while we were in the emergency room. And he was like, it's like dangling. (laughs) He was like, yeah, he's like, okay, so I don't know if you ever, like your wife is pretty young and pretty healthy. If you want her to walk normally, I'm going to suggest that she get surgery like immediately because this was like a Thursday evening. Right. So I, I probably would have to wait a while. And so the emergency room was just like, okay, well, you're probably going to need to talk to like an orthopedic surgeon. We'll like set it as best we can. And then you need to, f-. I was like, could you recommend one? Like, what the fuck? They're just like going to be like, your foot is falling off, but like, we'll just tape it up here and then we'll send you on your way. And so my, my husband's friend sort of forced us to get the doctor in the room and ask all the right questions. And we sent the x-rays to our friend who sent them to an orthopedic surgeon that he knew. And she was like, oh, the tri fracture. I haven't seen this in ages. Yeah. You need to come to the hospital like immediately. And we need to do a surgery. Actually, we need to do multiple surgeries. So we need to start now and do this um, external fixation. And then we will um, do a follow-up surgery. But just so I can explain this external fixation, it's so grotesque. Like, so we go to the hospital, I go in for my first surgery and an external fixator, just so people know, it's so freaky. They literally drill two like steel poles into your shin. And then they drill one through your heel and they use those to like crank. They like turn a sort of like cranky knob in between those so that it can stretch because basically what's happened is everything has smashed like all these bones are like smashed inside and so they like it's like stretching your leg out so that when they want to go in and actually do put in the screws and the pins and all the stuff that they'll leave in there that everything is kind of like more open or something it's when you're walking around you literally have these like screws and stuff sticking straight out of your leg and like people even at the hospital like doctors would be like, "Oh my gosh, does she need a wheelchair? Is she okay? Like open the door for her." Like it was kind of kind of cool. I kind of thought it was cool. But.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Were you awake when they did this or did they just explain it to you, knock you out, do the surgery?
1: No, I was definitely out for the surgery, which was crazy cuz I've never been knocked out before. And but also I think it was there was so much trauma and so much medicine and all this in the first like couple days, I was just super out of it. And, but actually that was the most horrific part for sure was waking up. Like I woke up from the surgery and it was way more painful than giving birth. It was like excruciatingly painful. My, my eyes were just like watering. My body was shaking. I was like, what is going on? Um, And then they, they gave me like a nerve blocker or something. And, and that was way better. And you know, it wasn't the worst. Actually, it turns out the worst pain is like way later down the road.
0: What do you mean by after that? After
1: I got my cast off.
0: So oh, that oh, that, that wasn't surgery. even the, yeah. I, yeah. I do want to go back though, before we, before we yeah. go to the, the most painful, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for folks out there, it's so easy to go to the hospital, get a diagnosis, get a suggestion and just take it and go. Any suggestions for folks out there to search for a second opinion to make sure that if they have a problem, that this shit is corrected immediately? Because I cannot imagine the problems you would have had later on in life had you waited any significant amount of time.
1: Yes. And that's what was so crazy to me. And it's so funny. My husband and I were just talking to some buddies of ours who are nurses and EMTs and telling them, you know, the story. And one of the guys there had like a knee replacement. He's a an ER uh, nurse, and he said, "He goes, you know, pretty much the only people who get good healthcare in in our country are people who are in the healthcare industry." And that's because they're not afraid to push back, you know, at doctors, they're not afraid to force second opinions. They're not afraid to say, no, this is what I want, or this is what I need. or Cause I, 100%, they said, go find a, a orthopedic surgeon. And I even said to them, I'm like, it's Thursday. I probably, there's no way I'll be able to get a surgery. So then you would just be lying there in pain, not to mention like that it could cause long term damage, but you just have to deal with this like horrific dangly foot for like four days because it's just an inconvenient timeline that it happened on or I don't. Yeah. I definitely would say lessons wise. It taught me a lot. And even, you know, it sounds weird, but the administrator guy, he said, are you talking to the nurse practitioner? And I said, yes. And he said, you need to talk to the doctor. And so then when I told the nurse practitioner, I'm sorry, but I really need to talk to the doctor about this. And he was like, I, I've been doing this for 30 years. Like, this is what I do every day, you know, da, da, da. And I was like, okay, I'm just like, my friend is a hospital administrator and he's telling me that he would like to hear from the doctor this answer or whatever. And it was this very uncomfortable sort of, you know, like I was coming at him in some way or like, I want to talk to your supervisor or whatever. And it was mostly just that I... Actually, it turned out he really didn't have a full, complete picture of what the extent of the injury was, right? Maybe he doesn't understand how to read the x-rays in the way, or he doesn't have the dialogue or whatever. And so my husband just finally was like, dude, we need, not only do I need the x-rays, but I need to talk to the doctor. And I don't want to say that I'm like maybe being a woman. I don't know. But for me, it was very uncomfortable to have that confrontation and so then when my husband came in and was just like, we need to talk to the doctor, blah, 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 blah. And then they did it. It was uh, kind of a relief. And I realized I probably would have just been like, oh, okay. If you now then, okay, cool.
0: So two things there, and this, this fires me up. Number one, if you're in the medical industry, don't do things just to pacify your own ego in a situation that has lots of consequences for someone down the road. I think, number one, that's pretty much bullshit. Number two, the type of person that believes they have the answers and is resistant to seeking out somebody who can potentially give more information is not the type of person that you want to trust. Because they're not actively seeking to grow. They have all the answers in their mind. This is a human being that you just want to bypass. That's just unbelievable to me how the ego of human beings can, in order in order to just pacify their own ego, they can watch another human being suffer, give bad information. It's, it's unconscionable to me.
1: And it's so interesting to me how it's structured, right? Because the emergency room is basically made for these very specific things. And yet, almost everybody in a situation like mine, that's where they're going to end up, right? So an emergency room is most effectively used to like stop your bleeding, maybe like fix you if you have a heart attack. Like there's just strokes, like things, there's things emergency rooms are just made to deal with, but like severe bone traumas or, you know, like severe things that happen with your extremities, they're just not really effectively able to handle those types of things, nor do they really know that much about it. So I was like, Maybe there should be an infrastructure where they could say, Hey, and also we have an orthopedic surgeon on call who could help. Like it doesn't seem like that much of a stretch, right? If my hospital administrator friend could do it. And then it makes me think, you know, of course, for me, it went to this sort of next level thing, which scares me the most about. I am so far from being a socialist, it's ridiculous. But I can see when you're like, Oh, we know the right person, so we get the right care. That's really a scary place to be in in sort of a culture where we just agree, like, well, if you know the, like, top-of-the-line hospital people, you could... And I did. I straight up bypassed. I was terrified of COVID. And I made that very clear to everyone. It was the beginning of March. So the nurses didn't even believe it was a thing yet. It was so funny. They were like, it's like the flu. I was like, honey, it's not the flu. (laughs) I don't know if you paid any attention. But so I came with a mask on to the emergency room. And I said, I do not want to be in the waiting room at all. Like, I'm not going to sit in the waiting room. So they like had a nurse meet me in the outside and like drive me straight in. And that's because my administrator friend was like, this is what you're going to do. And you're going to take care of her. But like, would I have had that type of care? No, I would have been sitting in the waiting room with all the other people who probably some of them have COVID at this point and don't know it. Right.
0: For sure. It was scary. I mean, it was really scary. Uh, Unfortunately, this is just a fact of the world that we live in that you need to know the right people or you yeah. need to be really good at asking questions that will get you to the right people because you know my dad my dad is sick he he got diagnosed with lung cancer in february of this year it's very aggressive he's, he's very young and i keep battling ask questions find other people learn everything that you need to learn because you're just a number you're just a patient to them like Nobody cares about your health more than you, so you have to take matters into your own hands and press, or let me do it. Let somebody, let somebody else do it that's going to be tenacious and not fucking give up or take no for an answer at any of these points, but you don't really realize how aggressive you need to be to really, yes. to really get things accomplished and
1: and how sure everyone is with completely different answers, right? Like, this guy's for sure, for sure, this, and this for sure, for sure this, and they're saying completely different things. And I think if anything, COVID has been the biggest like example of that, right? Like we have so many facts and so, you know, certainties, but so little answers. But I think a point that you made, that's really key also is for me in that moment, like, I could barely keep my like self together. Right. Like I'm just like in a lot of pain and trying to think about, I was actually immediately very concerned about what this was going to look like for my daughter. Like I can't stand up and change her diapers or do, you know, normal things. What about nursing her? Like I, I can't take pain medicine because if she's like, just like, I was just worried. Right. So For me, then the next level things and probably for your father, I can't imagine when you receive a diagnosis like that, all of the things that you have to work through sort of emotionally and just logistically and what your life is going to look like, sometimes probably the most effective thing to do is have a third person who can look at things objectively and who isn't dealing with quite the same amount of Reconciling with you know this like new what this new life looks like, and have that person be your advocate that's probably the best case scenario for most people
0: I agree it's because like like you said you're dealing with a lot you're dealing with a catastrophic injury, and you're trying to hold it together i i will, I'm going back to the point about them not being really prepared for major bone injuries, by the way, we got to relate this to poker somehow i don't know. <laughs> This is technically a poker podcast, but um, yeah, it makes sense to me why this is the case because it's mostly life or death situations that they're trained to handle and a broken bone is typically not going to be a life or death type of situation. So they're just not really appropriately trained for that, which makes a lot of sense, but also being able to get in touch with somebody that can give you some quick information seems pretty important.
1: Yes. And really, I text message the, you know, the administrator sent the texts of the x-rays, like from a text message, she was able to be like, oh, yeah, it's this. And like, she needs this to happen. And I was like, that sort of access does not seem that complicated to be able to arrange or work out, especially with how, you know, sort of interwoven the hospital system is at this point there. Since then, I've been dealing quite a lot with the insurance and overcharging and undercharging and all these things. And, there's definitely, I think there's definitely ways they can, they can improve that, certainly.
0: 100%. Let's, I'll, I will relate the, the nurse practitioner's reaction to poker in one way. And that's if you seek out poker coaching and you find somebody that has all the answers, find another poker coach because all the answers do not exist. And if somebody says they have all the answers, it's just an illusion. It's their ego puffing them up in a way that makes them unreceptive to upgrades. So anyway. And
1: that's like the most basic, right? Philosophies. Like the more you know, the more you know, you don't know. Right. right. And the older you get, the less sure you are about things because you know that you don't know anything anymore. Like it was great being 20 and being like, I got all the answers. And yeah. then like the farther along you get, you're like, oh my gosh, I know nothing. Like someone help me.
0: Yeah. You, you reach a point in your life where you go from being certain about everything to only being certain that you don't know anything and that everything is subject to analysis. Um, You've heard me talk early and often about how improving your awareness while you're playing cards so that you make better decisions in the moment and notice trouble spots That merit deeper consideration is one of the most valuable things you can do to make more money on the felt. In my conversation with the only four-time WPT main event champion ever, Darren Elias, he told me that his ability to shut out all of the distractions in the world and fully focus on making great decision after great decision is his superpower he most attributes to his success. And you cannot improve your awareness at the tables without being fully present. When you learn how to stay fully in the moment on the green felt, you can finally have a clear path to becoming the absolute best version of yourself, which leads me to Jason Sue. Jason is one of the foremost authorities on the planet when it comes to playing poker with presence. As a matter of fact, he even wrote the book on it. Here's a direct quote from Nick Howard at Poker Detox on Jason's ability to help you stay focused. Quote, Jason's work is a new paradigm in poker and performance. And these aren't just empty words. Nick has put his money where his mouth is by hiring Jason to coach up the Poker Detox crew. And as a loyal listener of Chasing Poker Greatness, you know by now that I would not be promoting anything I didn't 100% believe would improve your poker skills and your life. So if you want to master your emotions and perform at your peak with presence while doing battle in the arena... You'd be doing yourself a grave disservice if you didn't check out Jason's work at pokerwithpresence.com. One final time, that's pokerwithpresence.com. So how are you doing with your leg? Are we walking around? How how's recovery?
1: Yeah, so I'm walking now. It's I walk every morning with um with my husband, which has actually, you know, there's been a lot of of really positive things that have come from this, I think I'm a person who tends to. I'm an overdoer for sure. I'm super busy all the time with things. I always feel like I should be doing something. And why why do you think that having, is?
0: Let's stop. Let's stop and let's let's kind of go deep in the psychology. Um, why Why do you think you're over somebody that does a lot of things?
1: That's a very interesting question. I think probably. <laughs> If you want to know the truth, I don't know. I read this book a very long time ago, which was called Adult Children of Alcoholics. I was literally like 16, I think, when I read this. And so my father is an alcoholic and um, and a drug addict. And it's something they say for a lot of children who grow up in like a really chaotic environment is that then they want to control everything in their own world, right? So like in, a, in that house, maybe the whole house would be like dirty and crazy, but like my room would be clean and together. And um, but they like overcompensate, right? They become overachievers. They want to appear normal and have everyone think that everything's normal and good with them. So
0: why I think why that though? Would- why, why, why do they do these actions?
1: I think to like have a sense of control in your own life in a world that feels very out of control to like create a sense of control. Maybe
0: it. it's interesting that, that you specifically say that because I am the same. And this is mm-hmm. something that I've recently been working on and thinking about is that in my life, I, okay, here's a situation that recently happened. Our AC broke. It's still broken. I, believed that the person who was fixing it was quoting me way too high. So I sought a second opinion, which drives my wife absolutely crazy because I never believe anything anybody tells me.
1: Me either, because I can do everything better and research is something I can definitely do.
0: Right. So I, <laughs> I hire another person to come in. They charge $300 less. I'm like, sweet, perfect, get in there. They get in there. They fix the one problem. They break another part within the <laughs> AC unit our AC unit is so old. They do not manufacture this part anymore. You cannot replace it. Now we need a whole new AC unit. So I'm sitting there digesting this news. Like my wife's at work and I'm realizing that I now have to tell her that I annoyed her by finding these other people. I paid $450 for my AC to be broken irreparably. And I'm just so mad. Like, I, one of my students texted me, Thomas, and he's like, Hey man, what's up? We got to meet up today. And I'm like, dude, I can't, I'm so mad. I can't even see straight. Like I am just so angry. And I, and I was sitting there in my computer chair and Thomas even said, like, I've never seen you upset. Like I've never seen you mad at anything. And I was just asking myself, why, why do I feel such rage about this situation? And I kind of just sat with the feeling, you know, of not being in control. And I realized that control is something that I've gone out of my way to have my whole life. And I realized, for me, it stems from, like you said, a chaotic childhood. I, I love my mom. I will say that when I was in high school and when I was in middle school, if I had a half day at school, so I get picked up at noon, My mom would not show up at noon. She would show up at- mine either. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be the last person there. The teachers would babysit me and feel sorry for me. I would wait outside by myself for hours, every time, without fail. One time I tried walking home, um, which was about a six mile walk. uh, And I got picked up by a random stranger who took me home. And I've just realized that like that feeling- of unworthiness that comes from not being able to count on an authority figure created such emotional trauma in me that I never dealt with. I never sat with this feeling and tried to heal it and said, It's okay. You know, it's okay. What I tried to do instead was to never have that feeling again, which manifests mm-hmm. in controlling every aspect of life and feeling like I have to do everything. I'm not going to count on anybody because if I do, I will feel the way that I used to feel sitting out in a chair waiting for my parent to pick me up. And that was unacceptable. So- Anyway, I just wanted to share that I'm story, fully story with, with you.
1: you. I'm literally remembering myself like sitting out of the apartment complex crying because I'm like, count, I'm 45 minutes late to softball practice. I'm not going to get to play because I didn't go to practice. And I'm just like waiting for my mom. Like, why are you not here? Like, I, how come I can't just get myself there? Which I eventually did. Like, I started driving when I was 15, just so I could go to softball practice and get places on time.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you had to do, right? That was your solution. You took matters into your own hands and you didn't have to rely on somebody else. And I know that there's a listener out there that a high achiever, a high performer that does this themselves in their own life, whether it be through poker, just whatever endeavor you're pursuing. And it's okay to seed control. And just be with those emotions that require healing. That's that's the best way to become your best self, in my opinion.
1: And what was very shocking to me in this situation, for an example of not being able to control basically anything, so when my legs, when my leg was broken, basically for two months, I was not able to walk. And really for the first like three weeks, I wasn't able really even to move like out of the bed. And so it was like, somebody has to do the laundry. Somebody has to go to the grocery store. Somebody has to pick up the food. Somebody has to like feed the baby themselves, take, change the baby, do clean all the things that I normally do just had to be done by someone else. And At first, that was really hard for me. Like, oh, well, of course, my husband shrunk lots of my clothes in the laundry. You know, that's not really his strong suit. But guess what? It was fine. Like, I just didn't wear those clothes anymore. And I wore the clothes that, like, worked out good in the washing machine. Or, you know, with the grocery store stuff, wasn't maybe the things I would have got or cooked, but everything was fine. And it was actually quite nice to not have to, like, think about cooking or um, doing... It was interesting to me to realize that sometimes... Sometimes relinquishing control means knowing that it's not going to get done the way that you would do it, but just not doing it sometimes is its own pleasure, right? It's its own joy, just sitting and being. And it was really good for me to not have the option for a while of doing it. Yeah, it wasn't a choice.
0: Probably better for your long-term relationship with your husband too, you know, you know that he's going to sure. be he's going to be there. Something catastrophic happens, he's going to be there every step of the way. He's going to show up. He's not going to leave you hanging.
1: Yeah. Um no, for sure. For sure. And I think it's like you said, just like sitting and being present in in your feelings sometimes and like recognizing them and trying to get to the root of them. It's really it's been an exercise for me for sure and I think it was a especially with my daughter. And it's something I still struggle with. I'm just a busy person in general. Right. And so just sitting always and being fully present with her, I don't know that that would have been my natural go-to all the time. And this just not being able to get out of the bed for a few months really forced me to realize how important it is to just sit and be present with her.
0: It's, it's amazing to me how these catastrophic things that happen, seemingly catastrophic things, lead us to self-actualize a little more, reflect, and grow as human beings over the long term. And for what it's worth, you can't see this, but on the wall, I have taped instructions for how to navigate the laundry system in my home my my wife has made them for me and taped them <laughs> next to my desk so that i do so that i'm not terrified of doing them while she's at work
1: that is really hysterical and i think i need to do the same thing there's oh. just certain things but it's Trust funny me. because actually it's we're like we're looking at buying a house and at first it's like I've done so much research and I have found these properties and these things and I understand what I understand about loans and, and I just was like, I don't understand why I have to pay someone 6% or whatever to like open the door for me. Like that's basically what they're doing, right? Like the realtor, I'm like, their function is basically to like have the key code to get in. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why am I paying someone for this? And then the farther along I've gotten this journey also, I've realized again, I'm not an expert in everything. They probably know several things that I don't know. They're probably capable. And I have seen along the way, she has definitely pointed out some things, brought some things to my attention. Uh, like, is it worth 6%? I'm not 100% sure of that yet, but i have it's been interesting for me to realize, again, I am approaching a situation always with the idea sort of like we were talking about with the healthcare that I care more about myself than anybody else. Right. So of course I'm going to come into this with like more gusto than anybody else and fail to recognize that also, you know, somebody else who's been doing this for a long time might be slightly, slightly more capable of, of handling some of this than I am. And I think I'm probably going to need to remind myself of that
0: forever. I, I may make a suggestion here that ruins yours and your husband's life Ramit Sehi, the author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich, I remember reading an email that he sent one time where he said, if you're going to invest in a house, which is the largest financial decision you're going to make in your adult life, most likely, you ought to go to real estate school, go through the entire process so that you're educated while you're going through the process. It doesn't make sense to not take that six weeks to educate yourself before you make the largest financial decision that you'll make in probably the next you know 30 years.
1: Yeah. Do you have time to do that? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know that I have time to do that. Like, I don't know if you do or not.
0: Point. I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe there's somebody else. There's somebody listening right now that's thinking about buying a house and education is always good. And like from yeah. take it coming from somebody that doesn't trust anybody and feels like everybody is incentivized by themselves, which mm-hmm. quite, quite frankly, they, they kind, kind of are. Um, yeah. I, I would not want to go through six weeks of real estate class, but if me and my wife start investing in real estate, I, I will almost certainly do it just because of the potential long-term benefits. Why haven't you? Well, we haven't invested in real estate or, bought a house yet so why i'm why?
1: actually because really, i haven't either right and i'm 36 and my husband's 40 something and we have lots of reasons why and my husband still is not 100 percent on board actually with it but i'm just like for me i keep thinking we're just lighting money on fire you have to pay for somewhere to live so why wouldn't you want to pay for somewhere to live where you could potentially like at least own it
0: well my wife sure
1: there's reasons
0: my wife bought where we live now before we got together so mm we are paying um we are paying a mortgage note to someone for the place that we're living now so we just haven't upgraded basically because i mean it's a two bedroom place and we're two people most of the time but uh plus it's really expensive moving somewhere in downtown atlanta you know it's going to be 500k to a million for an upgraded house with a yard and yeah that's crazy not going to do that yet
1: yeah no, I'm with you. That's part of why I moved to Texas. I was I wanted to buy a house, but mostly for all the reasons I just want to, I feel like you're just lighting your money on fire
0: after a while.
1: It just goes and then you get nothing.
0: <laughs> also, I, I just, See, want, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like there's a give and take, right? Because good Lord, we're on mortgage. We're mortgage wisdom hour here on chasing poker greatness. From somebody that doesn't know shit about mortgages, this is super valuable, (laughs) super valuable for your time. I'm not even going to go down that road. You know what? I'm just going to kill it (laughs) because I'm going to say a bunch of stuff that...
1: And then everyone's going to say we're idiots and we know nothing and we know that we know nothing. And it's
0: probably wrong anyway. So who cares? Moving back to the poker world, poker news, do you think your business or the poker news business is going to change once, you know, COVID is sort of minimized And the floodgates open back up to live poker. Are you going to be more online poker centric?
1: I think probably things will, I think there will probably be changes that will exist into perpetuity as a result of this shift. Some of which, for example, the, uh, you know, sort of poker clients forcing poker players to release their real names and then also having final tables and events with exposed hole cards. I mean, these are things that just really weren't an option, you know, a year or two ago. So from a media standpoint, from a tournament, from an entertainment standpoint, this infinitely changes the landscape of what it looks like to watch an online tournament play out. When you actually know who's playing and you can actually see the cards that they had, it's pretty fun to watch. It's not quite as fun as live poker, I would say, but it's still pretty fun to watch. So I think some elements of that are just always going to continue to exist now and people will be more interested in watching. Also, the games are different. There's a lot of interesting stuff that happens, I think, with online play that doesn't necessarily translate always into the live realm. Like what? Um, but then I think I think that the play styles are a lot different. Not always, but sometimes you find players who are very specifically suited to high stakes online play or low stakes online play and when you see them play in a live tournament their style is just maybe different more subdued most of them don't even go play live tournaments or else occasionally you get like qualifiers or something and then you have some live players that transition very well either way but I think some live players are not quite the same online don't have the same capacity although I think we are seeing a lot that mm, quite a few of them are now that you almost have to be good at both in order to stay at the top. For sure. But there's still a lot of online sickos that I just, I don't ever see at live tournaments. And it's interesting to watch them play because I think, hmm, maybe it's like a sociological thing that there are sort of ways that people play live and they tend to sort of follow, follow trends and do things sort of similar things shift a little bit. And then, oh, we min-raised for a little while. There was, like, a time where it was, like, normal to six-bet shove with, like, nothing. That that was maybe, like, 10 or 15 years ago. But people just have these trends in live poker, and they sort of, generally speaking, people start to just do a lot of the same things. I think online poker is um, more, I guess it goes back to the most basic thing when we're talking about the difference between exploitative and, and GTO style, if you will. I think a lot of these sickos online are just, like,
0: It's fun to watch. It's So I I think there's a number of reasons. And I think biology is probably the number one. And that's, you know, there's an ambiguity effect. It's a cognitive bias in human beings. And what it does is it dissuades us from doing something where we don't know if it's going to be a positive outcome or not. And when you just wake up out of your bed, you get your training in, you meditate, you sit down at your computer and you know that's going to eventually end up in a positive experience, you're not as likely to start playing in live poker with a bunch of different inputs that you're not familiar with as far as you know, energy, live tells, how quickly you act, just navig- you know, talking, talking to cocktail waitresses, dealing with the dealer, Um, there's so many different things that differentiate live poker and online poker that is really not that surprising that some of the best online players never really dip their toe into the live arena just because it's more inconvenient and a totally different experience that they might be a little tentative about.
1: Yeah. And I think it's been really interesting to watch them play because I just think there's a lot of players that we know about that we hear about you read about you know crazy hands that happen you read about big wins but to actually watch some of these games play out and even to watch some of these players actually who are traditionally live players to watch them play online and see how things are slightly different we just saw oh my gosh there was such a sick heads up match two weeks ago Wow. It's so crazy. I can't even remember who it was. That's, there's been so many, that's part of the problem with this online thing is there's been so many stories and so much going on in so many tournaments. It's like the WSOP, but on steroids, because it's just, you know, three or four playing all at once with all these, and everybody's, you know, all the big names are doing it. But so, I mean, I think, I think that's going to exist now. I think people enjoy it. We've realized, I don't know that people would have been ex- as excited to watch online poker as they have been being that it's the only thing available and now i think that we've seen it it's like oh actually this can be really fun and interesting too. so i think that will keep going and also we've like even poker news we've got now like a discord channel and we are you know streaming a lot of the tournaments ourselves and you know commentating and i just think there's going to be i think that there's going to be a more digital element more digital platforms that will keep going because of what's happened because we've all had to communicate And you know, exist from our own homes for the last few months.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an appetite for engaging in any kind of competition or watching any kind of competition. I know that, like a month into COVID, everybody was going nuts watching commentated marble racing. It's 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 been an odd, an odd, odd time. Um, I'm kind of glad that online poker is getting more publicity, getting more coverage. I have. No, I'm under no illusion that it'll do anything to expedite the problems of online poker in the United States that for some ungodly reason, continue to plague us in 2020. But maybe one day, someday, the US market can get regulated, we can have competition, innovation, and it'll be a good time for everybody involved.
1: I mean, that's, I mean, that's really what we were hoping for. I mean, I think when this whole thing sort of first started and we actually, because obviously one of the biggest obstacles for online poker is all of the money that is against online poker, which is mostly land-based casinos, right? So I think for a lot of these land-based casinos, as they saw their you know profits plummeting, the hope was, oh, these people are going to now realize they have to join the online space. And if we could get that money behind online poker instead of against it, we might have a chance here. But as things have started to open up, you know, I think maybe they're focusing more on how they can open up what they already have and how they can follow these different security measures or whatever it is. But I think that if they could maybe siphon some of their resources into focusing on how to build more of their online presence, it would probably be the best choice in the long run for them. And of
0: course, for online poker, maybe uh, if you look at it from a different perspective, maybe not though. If you look, if you're a strong, healthy casino owner mogul like you know mr venetian guy are you really more incentivized to introduce something that could help smaller casinos that are struggling navigate the the pandemic or are you incentivized to just watch them all drown and basically bleed yourself so that there's less competition when everything opens up i don't know i wish that the answer was to open up online gambling, but I'm not quite so sure that's how they think.
1: I mean the the long-term effect, probably the most the longest-lasting effect we will see from this virus almost certainly is that all of the wealth is going to be consolidated amongst all of these very large businesses that are able to sustain and withstand. And yeah, for sure it's it's a huge a huge consumer grab and a huge money grab. For all the biggest, I mean, who really has benefited the most? Probably like Amazon,
0: Zoom. Walmart,
1: I don't know, Zoom. Yeah, which is like fully stealing all, what is it like supposed to be just like stealing all of our information?
0: <laughs> I'm not sure. I haven't, I'm not going to look into it. I've been using Zoom for years and I just don't want to know. Me too,
1: me too.
0: Taking me too. the ostrich approach. Yeah. But, but yeah, the the companies that are built for survival and have enough money, And are able to navigate the government process of getting these loans and all of this stuff. They're the ones who are going to survive. And we don't need more consolidation at the top, to be Mm -hmm. frank, as a society. Uh, It's not a good look when I believe it's like the top 1% controls 40 or 50% of all the wealth in America. Like, I never used to think that I was a socialist. However, that one statistic has... Really made me rethink some things. That gap is only going to get larger as the pandemic goes on.
1: Certainly, and and has been getting larger somehow in the midst of lots of crises. I, um, I would like. To, I think me, that's another interesting thing.
0: Yeah let me let me propose this. I had this thought. I tweeted it out a few months back, but I had the thought: Isn't it curious that the folks who would benefit the most? from more socialist policies, are the exact people who hate socialism the most. Do you think that's curious?
1: Maybe. It depends on who you think would really benefit.
0: The poorest people?
1: I think a lot of poor people are into it. I mean, I'm poor. But... (laughs) And that's, but that's interesting, right? So like you think it right. But then when you look at some of the ways that it's handled, as we know about any government, and as we know about power as a whole, if you put power in the hands of a very specific, it's, it's really bizarre. So I was just reading just I just happened to be I've been getting into these weird history books. And I was just reading this um, history book, which was essentially talking about, you know, China's shift to communism, but through the eyes of this like young girl and a mother who were telling their memoir of, you know, what life was like in Shanghai, sort of before and after. This like beautiful, glorious, glamorous, crazy life and then sort of how things shifted and how fast they had shifted. And it was interesting to see. And of course, I mean, I've read things about, you know, what happened in Cambodia, books about what happened there and um, things in Russia. It does seem very clear that one of the first things that happens is that these people who gain power, the ones who end up being put in a position of power within the government, do end up with pretty much all of the wealth. And then everyone else is very poor, like very poor, just like subsistence. And this is communism, right? But I think it's interesting because they have been the ideas were perpetuated on the idea that everyone would partake and share and give and receive and yet almost always it seems there's a very small and elite group of people who end up still wealthy
0: which is exactly what's happening right Yeah. yeah no
1: matter what that's what it means i mean i feel like it's interesting because i think like the founding fathers of our country did everything they could to try to keep this from happening and just seems like this is the nature of the beast over and over again in tons of different systems and tons of tons of different like ideological approaches. It tends to appear that governments will almost always.
0: Well, it's um, people, right? It's, it's a people, in my opinion, you know, it's a people problem. I, w- right. I watched a documentary on HBO, McMillions, and it was about how this one dude scammed the McDonald's monopoly system over the course of like 10 or 12 years and stole something like 20 or $30 million. There was no legitimate winner of anybody who played McDonald's Monopoly game for 12 years straight. There was no legitimate winner. And at the end, you know, they're kind of wrapping things up with a summary. So dude goes to prison for three years. For sure. Three years. And I'm like, <laughs> me, my wife and I are looking at each other like, Jesus Christ! Like white collar crime is lucrative. Like what's what's the downside to white collar crime? And was just kind of blown away, right? And then I started thinking about it more and more. By the way, this this concluded like a major FBI investigation. God only knows how much how many resources they poured into figuring this out, solving it, all the stuff. And I realized after thinking about it, the people who are likely to commit white collar crimes are also the people who are writing the laws to deal with white collar crime. So it makes absolute sense that you're more harsh on dealing drugs. You're more harsh on all of these other things, but not in an area where it involves scamming people, stealing from corporations and generating money. And that was just a, it was kind of like a little aha moment that I had. Oh, of course, the people who make the laws <laughs> and are likely to commit these kind of crimes or know people who are likely to commit these crimes, right? It could not, it may not be that you are going to, but you know, a businessman who gives you millions of dollars to your campaign, you're going to take care of him and protect him in case shit goes down. So
1: That's it. That's what I'm saying about the governments and the corporations. There are many different structures, right? Of like ways to end up in this type of a situation. But ultimately the people with the money are going to connect with the people with the power because the people with the money, like after they have money, what do they want? Power, right? So like somehow these always come together.
0: Yeah, there's an easy solution. And I've said it, I don't know if I've said it out loud on the podcast, but I've thought it many times and my dad thinks I'm nuts. Just pay the politicians like $5 million a year. Just pay them all an exorbitant amount of money so that they are incentivized to stay elected and get shit done. And they are not incentivized to take bribes and position themselves to get wealthy directly after their term ends. Like these guys need to be incentivized to take care of their constituents, not incentivized to take care of the corporations who are backing them. And if you just get, I promise it'll be cheaper over the long run if you just pay them all 5 million a year, everybody I will mean, have a better the amount experience. of money
1: that is wasted, you, we could for sure do that and it would be no problem. There's literally, oh my gosh, what's the number? Catherine Austin Fitz talks about all the time. Right now there's something like $92 trillion dollars that are just like unaccounted for like openly agreed to and unaccounted for. And when people don't even think about like what a tr- a trillion dollars, what a trillion dollars is. No, I no. We, because there's
0: like- you, human beings can't even conceptualize money after it reaches a certain point. I know that like during the bailout, there were all of these Twitter arguments talking about money that was going to like theater in New York. And it was something like a hundred million dollars and, People were just up in arms and going nuts. And I'm like, this is like 0.001% of the package that you're bitching about here. Like $5 million here or there. This is a trillion dollar bailout package. Like, why are you so consumed? A
1: trillion. A trillion. No, it's crazy. And this, it's $21 trillion is missing from the US government openly and agreed to like this is what the department of defense is willing to say we do not know where twenty one trillion dollars is which is just to put into perspective it is sixty five thousand dollars per person who lives in this country when you think about what we pay in tax te- I mean it's just like they could literally give us sixty five thousand dollars each and that would just be the money that they're saying right now yeah we don't know like what happened to that. We know what happened to it. Didn't go to us but we could give it to the politicians probably if we wanted to if they would just Yeah. It's a, it's a super corrupt and crazy system. And, and it's interesting because even what you're saying like, okay, these people make the rules. Well, it's also like, you know, the heads of the FDA are usually like connected to pharmaceutical companies or the, it's all, it's so like incestuous. It's disgusting. And so obvious. That's the craziest thing, right? It's like hide in plain sight. We all know it. We can all see it. It's not the people who are in charge of the treasury are also people who just retired from Goldman Sachs. Like, it's just crazy. It's bananas. Like of course they have a vested interest in, in facilitating all kinds of things that are not actually beneficial for, for the people. And, and unfortunately we're the ones supposedly paying, to be honest, also the 21 trillion probably doesn't even exist anyways. It's, It's just like the federal reserve is just like printing money. Now they don't even have to print it. They can just like push buttons and, and then I'm trying to get a loan. And then you think about that. It's so crazy. They're literally like loaning us our own money at these like ridiculous interest rates and then charging you. They don't even have the money. I don't have the money, but neither do they.
0: It's it a, matter. the system is a scam. And I think yeah. as you get older, the more and more you think about it, and the more and more experiences you have, you realize, oh, this system's just a scam. Like my yeah. friend in LA said, he said, you know, I'm doing well. I'm not so successful now that I don't have to pay taxes, but I know people. I'm getting there. And if you think about that, like Amazon paid no taxes. People are, when I tell people
1: that, they're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. And also, by the way, we're essentially subsidizing not only do they not pay taxes, but we're subsidizing by paying for the U.S. Postal Service. The, the U.S. Postal Service is giving them this, like, ridiculous discount so they can do whatever they do. So basically, we're paying so we can pay to, like, get the Amazon boxes.
0: Sure. The, the government subsidizes jobs for, like, Walmart, right? Yeah. Subsidize the jobs so that they pay their employees less so that we pay less money for our shit. And, you know, that's just, it's a it's a horrible, horrible thing but it is, is what it is. I mean,
1: dude, my husband and I watched this thing a couple of years ago, speaking of Walmart, but it was just so crazy. So they, so my husband's in insurance now, and there was this whole crazy, I don't want to say scam, but it's like, we're talking about the people who know, figure out all these weird loopholes and write things the way that they're supposed to. So Walmart was hiring these old people, right. To be greeters at the front door of Walmart. And they were getting all these life insurance policies. I forget what they're called. There's some like specific life insurance policy you can get because basically if someone works for you, you have a vested interest in their living. They were getting these like stupid life insurance policies on these old ass people working at the front door and then making these massive amounts. I and mean, when you just think like Walmart probably has enough money anyways, but somebody was like, Hey, I've got an idea here. Like let's figure out this other weird thing. And I mean, it's a weird, it's just a weird system. And somebody is always figuring out, you know, what's the best way to sort of like scam everyone and work around everyone. and
0: Yeah. When the, when, when the goal is just to maximize money, this is, these are the terms in which you play the game. And if that means hiring old greeters and taking out insurance policies so that you can profit off their death, then I guess somebody gave it a, Gave it a green light to go ahead and said, okay, let's hire some old people and hope they die or whatever. I uh, I
1: can't even imagine like pitching at the meeting, like, okay, guys, here it is. (laughs) And then someone was like, yeah, I'm sign on for that.
0: There's a human right now that is existing and breathing who had this idea, wrote it up, pitched it to his boss, his boss loved it. And then it just went on from there. And it was a policy that got instituted, which is kind of mind-blowing if you really think about it. Yes. Um, We need to have our own show of just (laughs) just Just investigating investigating these like societal issues and figuring out the problem um, because it's something that I think you and I in our last conversation talked about a lot and I know that we've talked about it a lot on this conversation as well.
1: Yeah. The things that Are very concerning because you know it's terrifying to watch it and see it but also feel it's a control thing right but feel like you have no control i can't stop it i can see it i can recognize it i don't want that for you know my daughter or whatever but i can't fix it so the best thing i can do is just research a lot
0: about it (laughs) exactly we we gotta have control we're driven by control um sarah i know you have a house appointment to get to it's been great as always need to have you on, you know, maybe who knows when sometime sometime in the near future,
1: periodically, periodically, twice a year. We'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully it doesn't. Are you, by the way, have you been tested for the, the leg breaking thing for any other underlying condition? Are you cleared?
1: No, so you know, soon after I got like walking again, um, I got the COVID. So then I had twenty-eight days where I wasn't going to go to the doctor. Then my husband got a new job, so we got new insurance. Now it's like a whole I mean, these are the other things. It's just so dumb to navigate. Like you get involved in this kind of a system and you're like, this system is for sure broken. Like I was max out of pocket. You have no idea how much money I spent on these surgeries and all these things and the insurance company, and then as we got a job and we had to go with his insurance because we were using like the subsidy one or whatever. So then it was like your max out of pocket. We paid like more than $10,000. I could have probably gone to the doctor and just like, wee gone crazy. Everything's free the rest of the year. Well, no, we got all the max out of pocket done. And then we switched jobs, switch insurance, start back over at zero. I was like, I'm not, just not, I'm not going, I'm not dealing with it for a while. I need to pump the brakes on the like dealing with the insurances and the doctors for a while.
0: Yeah, um, it's for my um, mental health. For sure, and unfortunately, the only time that you learn these lessons or realize, yeah, is is when you need it, right? It's like, it's like um, you're not always grateful for your health or your ability to go out in public until it gets taken away from you, and then you realize, oh shit, um, this is something that I should have been grateful for. Well, you don't know how to navigate the hospital system, how to interact with doctors or nurses or get shit done in healthcare until there is a problem that forces you to go through it and then it's overwhelming and it sucks. And it's let a little me give too two late.
1: a bit of advice. I'm just gonna throw this out there because I should have listened and I didn't. The hospital administrator friend before I gave birth, he told me, listen, Sarah. You need to go in, make a cash offer. Ask them first, what is the Medicaid rate for whatever the services you're gonna get performed? Ask your doctor, what's the Medicaid rate? Ask the accountant at your doctor, whatever. They will give you whatever the Medicaid rate is. You offer them that amount of money in cash, make the deal in advance, give them that amount of money in cash. He's like, it will save you so much money. You don't even, he's like, you don't even need insurance, frankly, but like if you have it, that's fine, go ahead. And he was totally right because I did all the right things. I had a baby no drugs. I spent, I went in there nine and a half centimeters dilated. I was like, ready to go. Like, let's just like get this thing out and get out of the hospital. Cause I never wanted to be there. And still they did all these crazy things. They tricked me in all these ways. You know, I had a copay and my baby had a copay. She is the reason that we are there. That is the whole appointment. So I had to pay for two nights in the hospital stay or whatever. She has to pay for two nights. Like it was ridiculous. Anyways, he said the best advice he could ever give me is figure out what the medicaid rate is and offer them that rate in cash in advance. And it turns out he was 100% right because then I tried doing that later and they totally would have agreed to that because if they were that is the minimum amount that they that they're going to accept for that service, but they have to do so much paperwork if you're medicaid. It's like so much paperwork. So you offer them that money in cash, it's like, "Yay, we get the same amount of money but we don't have to do the paperwork." They're actually very happy to do it. So anybody who like has something coming up that they know they're going to have to do, such as have a child. I highly recommend this. There's an article about it on Zero Hedge that my friend wrote. And um, if you don't need to find that, I'm sure you can Google it. But it's pretty standard, and no one ever told me that until um,
0: him. But it's a – I mean, that's a greatness bomb, right? Like, it's tucked away in my brain anytime time I have to deal with anything. Like, let's pay it off beforehand. It, I, it reminds me, a poker player in L.A., won the lottery like three times. I don't know how often you have to play the lottery to win three times, but he won the lottery three times. And he's, he said, I'm going to give you guys some advice if you win the lottery because I messed up the first time. If you ever win the lottery, get your ticket, take it to the bank, and sell it to the bank for more than the cash offer that the government offers you because the bank will take the long-term, the long-term returns over 40 years And make more money, and they'll gladly pay you more than the government will in one lump sum. And I I remember thinking, damn, that's smart. (laughs) How long did you have to think about what you would do if you won the lottery to come up with that? However, it's a really genius idea if you're ever lucky enough to win the lottery.
1: And then it's like, you just have to get in with the right person, right? Because you go into the bank and you talk to the teller and Maria's like, uh, I don't know. I don't think we do that. Like, I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. Like, you got to like somehow navigate to get to the person who can make that kind of a smart decision and is like capable of making that decision.
0: There are a lot of but, banks. yeah, that's
1: super smart. And how did he, I mean, come on, he's doing—he's like the McMillions guy or something. Like you win it three times. Like, I don't know, dude, something seems a little fishy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was only for a few million every time. Who yeah, knows? No big who, deal. Who knows? There are some. I don't know if you know this or not. There are some shady characters that sometimes wander into a poker room and plunk down 10k and just go to war.
1: I've heard. I've heard of these characters in this particular world.
0: Yeah, you never know. Never know. Okay, before I get sidetracked again, Sarah, great having you on. Have a great rest of your day. Speedy recovery. Hope you're. You and Heath are both over the Rona. And you're up and walking in no time soon Er, or walking without pain and any long-term healthy, healthy, healthy. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of chasing poker greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.